Um, I guess if uh, you haven't read me, my name is Pastor Andrew Walker, um, and I'm glad to be here with y'all this week. This is kind of a part two of what we discussed last week. Last week we said um, that heaven is like a on-demand service in that it is constantly um, accessible. Um, sometimes we get stuck in, in what I call um, someday syndrome where we're just kind of like, someday I'll be in heaven. Someday things will get better. Someday, 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 someday. But the focus that scripture gives us is that heaven is right now. Jesus brings heaven to us. Heaven is at hand, he said. His kingdom is all around us and gives us immediate and constant access to God. Whenever we need and even when we feel like we don't. Um, in Matthew 7, Jesus says, uh, to kind of illustrate this, he says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, know how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask? Unfortunately, this concept can be very easy for us to misunderstand, which is why we need part two today. Um, especially as consumers, and they're in um, Virtually every aspect of society, um, we, consumers of services and goods, can easily trip into this mentality of, well, you know, wash my feet, Jesus, and give me what I ask, Jesus, and find what I seek, Jesus, and open the door that I knock on, Jesus. And we need to understand Jesus does not serve us because we are greater than. Um, he literally washed some nasty feet of guys that he probably knew way too well. Okay? And then he says, I'm not doing this because the service is greater than master. I'm not doing this because you're greater than me. Okay? He, he says he's giving them a model to follow. He's compelling them to participate with him in this kingdom of heaven. And he has made this claim on us as well. Our lives belong to him. They are his. And to deny his claim on us is to cheapen his grace. Let me say that again. To deny his claim on us, to ignore his commands, the compulsions that the Spirit gives us, is to cheapen his grace. In other words, Heaven is not just on demand. Heaven has been abundant. Um, in one of my favorite books, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote um, about cheap grace versus costly grace. Um, cheap grace is <coughs> is the grace that we just say um, it's it's the it's the yeah I go to I go to church because I go to church and. Yeah, I'll walk up to the rail and take some bread and wine and yeah, we'll listen to God's words and it's on and I'll go home. 
Cheap grace is uh, no implication for the Christian. It's just receiving the gift of God with no change, with no implications of living it out. Um, now, he's not implying that grace is a debt that we have to pay back. Okay? He's not saying that we've paid God's grace back with our lives. Even if we could give God our whole lives, it wouldn't be enough. Right? So, so he's not implying that it's a debt we have to repay uh, back. He's saying that the sacrifice of Christ, his death and his resurrection for us, is the most impactful event this world has ever known. Ever. And it has a direct implication for each one of us. Each one of us individually and collectively, but it has a direct implication for you. Okay? Um, if we, to illustrate cheap grace, you know, we believe <coughs> that life is normal. And this is all of us. All of us. It's unavoidable. We slip into this belief that like we're like the people next to us. Right? Or we're not like the people next to us. No matter, you know, not just in church, but that I'm the same as everyone else at the grocery store. I, you know, I drive the same, I live the same, I watch the same stuff, I read the same stuff, I, you know, that, that we are quote unquote normal. Um, if we believe this and we live like this, we make less of the death and resurrection of Christ. Not, not if, when we live like this. We make less of the death and resurrection of Christ. He cheapens his grace. Now, none of us are here because we believe we're you know, not special in any way. If you're here, you believe that you have been saved by Jesus and that he, and that he loves you. Right? None of us believe that we are quote-unquote normal just like everybody else. But let me ask you this. When you woke up this morning, you came here. And you do so out of a sense of born obligation. Did you wake up and say, okay, I'll have breakfast. When I get there, you brush up your clothes. You worry about traffic. You, um, you know, what, what things creep into our minds on a Sunday morning to pull us away from the full reference of God? Or God himself actually seems like a distraction. Or did he come here in excited, humble anticipation to actually be in the presence of God, in the, in the presence of his people? Who did he tax here this morning? Who did he talk to uh, that you might pity or disparage because you don't agree with them or you're not like them or rather they're not like you? Or did he honor everybody as the image of God? seek the restoration of those people around us, even the ones that anyone would readily cast aside. It's not just easy to slip into the mindset that life is just business as usual. It's not just easy to do that, but it's unavoidable. We all do. Every single one of us. None, none of us has the capacity to be in constant praise and wonderment all the time. We just don't. We are, we're fallen, broken people. Masked for heaven, that is not right now. We just can't. Okay? 
this is an unavoidable problem um, with risk. And, and here's, here's the thing. That is not necessarily our goal either. Our goal is not to just be in constant praise and wonderment all the time. That's disconnected from reality. Okay? Um, we cannot be in this, in this perfect, sinless, rapturous state, right? Um, in this world, we just can't. So I'm not saying that that's what we're striving for. I'm also not saying that we are still under the law. That we need to, um, we, we've been brought into the kingdom of God, we don't need to earn our keep, right? That, that's not how it works. Once we are citizens of the kingdom of, of heaven, um, we don't work to stay that way. That's not why God keeps us around, right? The reason that what I'm, what I'm telling you this morning is not that, you know, you should expect to be perfect or you should expect to be <coughs> all the time or something's wrong with you um, if, if you're not. What, what I am saying to you is what we're calling you. And that is a reminder of who you are. Okay? Slipping into that is unavoidable. It's a result of sin. So, instead of our goal being perfect, we need reminders. That's what the gospel is. It is, it is a reminder of who you are in Christ. And you are his co-host. You are his sibling. You are his that expands the implications of, of your life in him. That, that we don't just sit and receive. We are not just passive recipients. We are also active participants in the grace and kingdom and mission of God. Jesus has established a relationship with you. Not just saving but giving you purpose, made you a participant in his grace, put his word on your lips to speak. He has made you an agent of the kingdom of heaven. Today's Pentecost, when the apostles received the Holy Spirit of God, and what did they do? Finally, they get it. And they just sit there in the room and talk about how great the kingdom of heaven is and how awesome they feel. How, how full and fulfilled and fluffy they are to be in God's presence? No. Because that was never the goal. That was never the point. They received the Spirit of God and were immediately compelled, driven out of that place, to speak it, to live it. They were participants in grace and the Word of God. They were compelled to unite the world in Jesus Christ. All these people from all these different nationalities and languages, they called them to repentance, and then they restored them to God. And this has been the task since the beginning. God did not put Adam and Eve in the garden to grow fat and content on fruit. They cared for them. He gave them a job. He made them stewards of this gift. We just read it in the, in the reading of Ezekiel. One of the weirdest things to me is not that God raised a bunch of dry bones. 
what, what, what happens? You're in this valley of, of, of bones that have decayed completely, and God says, Son of man, prophesy and say to the bones. That's weird. Okay? Why doesn't God just say to the bones? Well, what's the point of Ezekiel? Are we supposed to be cutting out the middleman? Isn't that the desire? Isn't it supposed to be just us and God and, and, and us directly, you know, him and him and me and me and him, and, and we're just supposed to be like this and, and cut it all around us? That was never the point. Never intended by God. Give saying I'm Jesus 2.0. Okay? We are not a better revision of Jesus. He's saying we are the extension of Jesus. Not because he is inadequate. We're just Jesus. He sets us for the same purpose. By nature, you are not under something that you have established. Okay? We have control over it. So it's not because he's inadequate. It's because he has invited us to join him. Not because he needs us to join him. He wants us to join him. In the gospel reading we read, the Holy Spirit will bear witness. And you will say, and you also will bear witness. Join me. We're not dead weight. We're not just unnecessary. We are crucial because God has just made us so. Practically speaking, what does this mean? What does heaven, what does it, what does it look like day in, day out for heaven to have a claim on us? Because frankly, it sounds exhausting if we're not careful. Right? It sounds like, yeah, well, you know, when can I stop being perfect? When can I stop just doing 
Jesus stuff all the time. How many people are, do I cross out every day? Do I talk to all? Do I have to give all of my every cent that I have to someone who needs it? Like, what, what does this mean for heaven to have a claim on me? How do I participate in the mission of Jesus? To stand on the hillside and feed thousands of people, raise the dead, and heal the sick, and baptize thousands more? This is a loose description of what follows the Pentecost What it looks like for heaven to have a claim on the lives of God's people. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Stop right there. Because your immediate reaction is, so what, you have to move to a socialist economy? You're missing the point. This has nothing to do with political models. It has nothing to do with national governments. It has everything to do goes on, day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, fellowship. They received their food with glad hearts and generous hearts, not only open to receiving, but open to sharing, praising God. Here's, here's where we might trip over in the morning today. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So there's kind of a short description. I hope you keep the slide week by week time to, to reclaim this life better. My wife and I, uh, Audrey, is her name. We met when I was 19. We were married when I was 23. Um, some of the most formative years, during some of the most formative years of our lives, and the most turbulent years of our lives, because they were the most formative years of our lives, right? Um, we had this focus um, being children, you know, for all intents and purposes. We had to focus on the things that we needed. And what the other person, so it became all the more clear what the other person wasn't giving us. We were so focused on what we needed that it grew resentment and cynicism when we didn't feel like the other person was giving us difficulty. And we have three kids and Started having kids sometimes, it just seems like the weight, it seems like the weight of that obligation to each other was almost unbearable. <clears throat> because we were just so focused on what we weren't getting. This uh, next month, um, two weeks, we will be married 12 years. Okay? We have a 60 year 
Old Testament church. We ask you to send to us the way you sent them, and that you would prepare hearts before us as you prepared hearts before them. Because we share in the same mission that they did. We share in the same relationship with Jesus that they did. We share in the same glory and honor as their children. Father, may we never take this for granted. And we thank you for forgiving us when we do take it for granted. Lord, we thank you for bearing with us. We thank you for being our Father. We thank you for loving us so deeply and graciously. And we ask that you would mobilize us, send us with glad and generous hearts. That you would bring us together to share all things in common. Thank you.